Good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are, this is Dove Tuzman and we are on equal footing. Happy to be with you this week. This is an extraordinary topic for me personally and for those of you who have been on uh, before, you will understand why. My guest this week is an extraordinary gentleman. His name is Benny Forer and he, I think Benny's on the line with us. Benny, you there? How are you? <laughs> there we go. Benny's joining us from Los Angeles, and he has been a district attorney in Los Angeles County for over 14 years, uh, eight of which has been in the cyber crimes area, and he's prosecuted murder cases, complex fraud, narcotics, and everything in between. Benny's also a professor of law at the University of Southern California, Go Trojans. And it's a pleasure to have him on. You know, Benny knows this, and some of the listeners, I, I, I think, do as well. This is a particularly cathartic and extraordinary experience for me to be on with a prosecutor talking about, this week, the great burden that prosecutors have to pursue the interests of justice, the moral questions that come up. The We're going to tie it a little bit into the Parsha, the section of the Bible this, this week. And, and it's very personal for me because, as some of you know, I have had a long-standing battle in the criminal justice system. I spent ten and a half months in kind of a state of limbo called administrative detention that was in reality in a prison uh, overseas awaiting my opportunity to be in court in the United States related to a charges on securities fraud and related to a public company in the U.S. And it's been a multi-year journey for me of uh, pain and repentance and teshuva. We talked about that last week of, of returning to our core essence and empathy more than anything else, getting to understand really the the crosses that others are bearing, if you pardon the expression, the being able to try to see things from different sides. And that's what this show's about, equal footing. We are all on equal footing. Here I am as being a uh, someone who's appeared as a defendant in the criminal justice and having the opportunity to, to speak on equal footing and also with empathy and care and civility with a uh, someone who's been a prosecutor or is a prosecutor and is on the uh, the other has been on the other side uh, i imagine hundreds or thousands of times benny thank you for joining us uh, this this afternoon my my pleasure thank you for having me on the show benny i don't want to i don't want to out you because i know that uh, in in court you know you don't necessarily wear wear your your kippa uh, but i i think it's it's hopefully it'll be okay to say that uh, you're you're an observant jew this show is not of course only Oriented towards people that are Jewish or observant in their in their Jewish faith, but it is a show that that where I inevitably bring part of my personal story to the to the table, and the prism of reference for me is also a Jewish upbringing and Jewish faith. and And Benny, we had the opportunity to speak a, a few nights ago about some some pretty extraordinary stuff. I know there's some things you can't say on air for you know appropriate reasons, uh, g- given given your role. And then, but I was wondering if maybe we could start by giving a little humanity to the to the role because I know if you're like me you see kind of prosecutors as the big bad wolf sometimes and then others see you as the the white knight and I imagine the truth is somewhere in between and driven by the the person in the role and you had had shared with me the other night a, 
story of rapping to fill in, for example, with people in 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 jeopardy and where you, you unexpected to me certainly that you would have that type of dynamic. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it feels like to stand in judgment of another human being and how you kind of wrap your head around that in the in your in your daily life? So um, um, that's a wonderful question and wonderful thought. Um, I might not have ever thought of it in the way you just phrased it. Um, but I, I see myself as, there's a famous quote from, and I'm going to mess it up, but from, from a case in the 1930s, it's a case called Berger versus the United States, where the justice of the Supreme Court said that, it talked about talking about prosecutors, said that the prosecutor is not just the representative of an ordinary party, but... Uh, um, but a sovereign who has a, a, a duty to, to govern impartially and to have the interests of, of society in mind. The, the job isn't to win at all costs, but, it's, but that justice shall be done. Um, and so that's the primary quote. It's on all my emails, so I, I know it, um, but maybe not completely by heart. But that's exactly what he says. And I think of it in that way, is that I don't see myself as a, um, a party that has an interest in the case a personal interest, right? Obviously, uh, I think human interest, people want to win cases. Um, I, I understand that, but the goal is to, in your mind, to win, to think to yourself, I want to win the right cases. Um, I don't have an interest in um, winning the wrong cases, so to speak. So um, uh, I had this debate one time with the defense attorney, and he was saying you know, some of these new laws that were being implemented, um, we were discussing them, and the defense attorney said to me, you know, it's not fair. You guys win all the time. Let us win some. And I responded to him, I'm supposed to win. But this is not a game. I'm supposed to win. If I'm doing my job properly, that means I'm filing the, the proper cases and I'm pursuing the proper matters. We all desire that I win. That's what society desires, that the prosecutor does their job ethically, morally, and properly, and that we we achieve that, whatever that is, that the, the, the the achievement of that is justice, and, and that obviously is a vague term, Or, um, but but that is the ultimate goal of a prosecutor. You know, it reminds me of the Sonia Sotomayor, who's a Supreme Court justice, quote that she said that my job as a prosecutor, is obviously when she was a prosecutor, is to do justice, but justice is served when a guilty man is convicted and an innocent man is not. So Correct. you're not always hopefully you know, wanting to win at all costs. It's about this concept of the interests of justice. And I, I want to come back to that. First of all, we are going to welcome callers. And I have to tell you, as someone that has, not by choice, but by the circumstances of life, spent a ton of time over the last five years with uh, criminal defense attorneys and prosecutors and so forth, to have someone on the line and to be able to ask questions and talk about what the role is about how it ties into our social fabric is a really special opportunity. The number is 718-303-9090. We are taking calls live on the air for the next uh, 55 minutes or so. That's 718-303-9090. Benny, uh, let's talk for a moment just to put some backdrop to this conversation about the national dialogue. We if you've been watching the Republican National Convention for the last few days, it's really been about law and order to a significant degree. And there's so much pain in our country right now around social justice, around criminal justice, around police behavior. And there's folks that are so ardent on different sides of 
of this debate. I had a friend last night was sharing with me a story of being supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement and being kind of adjacent to semi-participating in a, in a march uh, a couple of months ago and having someone yell at her and call her a white privileged and then I can't say the next word and her feeling completely alienated from the cause that she was actually there to, to support. And those that type of experience really brought to the fore for me the need for this type of, of conversation. What is, when you think about your role in, as a upholder of, of criminal justice, Benny, what does law and order in this context, in our current political milieu, mean to you? How do you actuate that on a daily basis? And if you don't mind me asking, you can always, you know, you're a lawyer, be very good at, at deflecting if you need to, but where where do you stand? As, you know, as someone that's sitting on the, you know, law enforcement side of things, where do you stand on this incredible, you know, the, the agita that we're experiencing as a, as, a, as, a, as a people, as a country right now, and the the reckoning really that it feels like we're going through? So, um, you know, um, I, I guess it follows through from the previous question, but, uh, you know, uh, what, what is a prosecutor ultimately? I mean, obviously prosecutors are human beings, um, and they're human beings, but I, I joke around when I teach or lecture to various groups, like, we're not a group of human beings that flew in from some southern town in Texas with this harsh perspective, and we show up to prosecute, and we go back to our world. We're your neighbors. We live amongst your communities. We may have very similar interests in many areas, and political interests as well in many areas. So. Um, what is the prosecutor ultimately? Is a prosecutor someone who pursues truth and justice? And, and justice requires, you know, justice oftentimes requires for the, for the victims. When we say justice, it's not just the right result for the person being charged, but it's the right result for the people who were harmed by that person's actions. Um, and so I see myself in that, that regard. What, what, what is concerning is that a prosecutor should always remain objective. That's the goal. That's the hope of any prosecutor that they remain objective and they follow the laws, and they pursue the right results for the right cases based on the right evidence. Now, they should never pursue, pursue charges that lack evidence, lack the appropriate evidence, or lack the standard that you're seeking. And society shouldn't dictate that. And that's, you know, the concern on both ends, which is, on the one hand, you want one group who's saying, we got to pursue law and order and all these other things, and, and perhaps in that conversation is lost the idea right. of balance and perspective and having interests of society in mind. And, and you might have another group on the other side saying you must do X for this to, to achieve this result and must not do X to achieve this result. And you're going, that, that shouldn't be the perspective that a prosecutor is guided by. A prosecutor should be guided by the, the, the idea of truth truth all the time that's the ultimate thing ben. i always joke i said even if you don't mind i always joke to to younger da's and say you know even if you're an unethical person which hopefully no one is but even if you are theoretically the hope is if that you're working in a business of truth every day you will become that that is how right. you should be you should be engaged in truth daily benny do you think that that we've become unmoored in the prosecutorial community in the U.S.? Has something changed in 
since you've been practicing, or maybe from your perspective as a, as a law professor before, are we moving more towards, I think, what William Douglas called tacking as many skins of victims as possible against the wall, which is not the function of the prosecutor, right? The pr- function of the prosecutor, as you, right. as you articulated, is, is fairness and judgment. Do you think something's changed at either the state or the, the federal level, or has it always been this way? I, 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 uh, look, I can only speak anecdotally for my own career and how I perceive things. Um, <clears throat> there's, you know, I, okay, so the first part is we have to think about is, um, and especially as it pertains to what is going on today, is, 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 is the laws, that the foundational laws to this very concept, are they good? Or are they bad? And if they're bad, we need to change them and think about how we change them. Um, and we should do it in a logically coherent way. And, and if they're good, then, then maybe the problem isn't the law. Maybe the problem is the individual interpreting or pursuing that law. Uh, right. So we have different perspectives on how we have to perceive that. Um, in a way, right, there's these wonderful ideas that exist in terms of balanced prosecution. And, and I think a lot of prosecutors um, embrace them. For example, you know, the Innocence Project, the, the idea of exonerating people who, who are on death row. I don't know, there shouldn't be any prosecutors opposed to that, right? right? But there should not be a prosecutor opposed to the idea of it. Now, there might be individual cases where, you're going, where you might, a prosecutor might say, well, well, they're taking a, 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 an individual perspective that's not accurate, and I disagree with their interpretation of something. But the idea of it is that all prosecutors should desire that. I think the idea as well is that all prosecutors in, in, in pursuit of justice, and sometimes, you know, there's in depth, Definitely, you're, you're going to have people lost in the in in that, and and might lose perspective, and, and may come from dif- different backgrounds, ethical, morals, um, in, in that. So, so it's a human. We have to make laws that that ensure that the prosecutor engages in the appropriate way. And and so sometimes, let's say we're talking about laws that um, the legalization of marijuana, right? We, if if prosecutors had acted appropriately in every case involving marijuana possession, we might not be on that subject matter. Right. We might not have that discussion. We might sit there and go, well, this is the door. Or maybe we still would. Maybe we'd still say, regardless of the justice achieved by a prosecutor in this case, we still want to legalize something. That reminds me of the Louis Brandeis quote, if, if we desire respect for the law, we must first make the law respectable. So I think it's part of what you're getting at. Yeah. Our number to call in is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. This is a very special opportunity to be able to talk to a prosecutor. Thank you so much for joining us this uh, this hour. Benny, Benny Forer, who's a very experienced, almost 15-year prosecutor in Los Angeles County, also a professor of law at the University of Southern California. We're going to take a break and come right back. Again, 718-303-9090. And Benny and I, after the break, are going to talk a little bit about criminal justice in the context of the inner battle that we have, which is ties into the, the parts of the section of the, of the Bible this week about going to war, the inner and the outer war. We'll come right back on Equal Footing. Equal Footing is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, 
MDCS Dermatology provides the most advanced medical and surgical skin treatments in the New York metro area. The dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. Visit www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. Mention equal footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. MDCS Dermatology combines state-of-the-art technology with a personalized and friendly approach to skin care for adults and children. Whether you need medical treatment or have a cosmetic concern, the doctors at MDCS will provide you with the best treatment options. Here's what patients have to say about MDCS Dermatology. Charles from Garden City says, The balance of patient care and COVID-19 safety was perfect. I went straight from my car to the exam room and skipped the receptionist and waiting room. Ellie from Great Neck says, Dr. Garshik was the most thorough dermatologist I've ever seen for my annual skincare screening. Jennifer from Long Beach says, I had a brown mole removed from my forehead and now I have perfect skin. Thank you, Dr. Bernstein. So, schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient Long Island or Manhattan locations. Go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. Or, if you prefer the comfort and safety of your own living room, you can schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists by clicking on Virtual Visit at www.mdcs.live. Remember to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Welcome back. We are on equal footing. Today I'm on equal footing with Benny Forer, who has been gracious enough to join us, a prosecutor in L.A. County's prosecuted cyber crimes, murder charges, narcotics, and everything else in between. He's also a professor at the University of Southern California. How often do we have an opportunity to talk live and tie together the spiritual and the banal in such extreme ways. We're going we're gonna to now get this. We're going to tie in this section, which is the 49th section, the Parsha of the, of the Bible, that if you're, not, if you're not Jewish, I'm referring to the, uh, the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, as you might call it. If you're not Jewish, everybody's welcome in this, in this format. The, it's the sixth book, book of Deuteronomy, and it's Kitetze, when you go. And we're going to tie that into what it means to be a prosecutor, what it means to be a defendant. The number seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. We are taking live calls. Seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. Benny, you're in addition to being a prosecutor, a lawyer, you're also a uh, a biblical scholar of sorts. And I'm sure it wasn't lost on you that here we are talking about criminal justice and the section of the Torah this week, Kitetze, Kitetze, is about laws. And some of them are pretty abstruse, but it, it, the, the Parsha, the section of the Bible this week, starts with, in a certain sense, the laws that, gener- that it come from the internal struggle, talking about what the rules are around when a soldier... Uh, have, you know, is, is takes a, someone captive in the context of a battle and what what can and cannot happen in that context. It's kind of some people have called it the war of permission, the issue of you know, the internal what's right and what's wrong in, inside, and 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 how to 
adhere to our moral compass, to have to shuva, to come back to our, our essence. And then it ends with the extremely important, but I think often misinterpreted or misunderstood, war of survival, which is when Amalek, the the, the true arch enemy of of the Jewish people. Uh, takes out the rear guard uh, from the, the people of Israel as they're returning out of Mitzrayim, out of, out of Egypt, and it, uh, it kind of bursts the bubble. I mean, it's, it's a, a time, can you imagine, the people of Israel have just been you know, released from bondage in, in Egypt. They just had these miracles happen with these ten plagues. The most powerful man on the planet, the Pharaoh, has lost that battle, and yet shortly thereafter... You know, they succumb to this rearguard action and a devastating attack. And it really brings to the fore of the importance of vigilance, the, the importance of the law as it pertains to our individual life, as it, it pertains to our uh, battle every day to do what's right and to stay on the right course, and also as it pertains to keeping our society together, to not, you know, literally suffering destructions at the, at, at the hand of of the enemy. Our number seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. And I'll say one other thing with respect to Amalek and then and then I'd love to hear how you reflect on this week's Parsha and how you reflect on your duty, which is an incredible duty, an incredible burden to, to stand in judgment of, of others or to prosecute others so they will they'll be judged. I think of the uh, Rabbi Chaim Richman I am a fan of called Amalek the institutionalized desensitization and that it's it's like the people of Israel leaving leaving Egypt they should be in at the, the apogee of celebration and trust in Hashem trust in God and yet they they are kind of taken apart they're a wedge is li- quite literally not of course figuratively but literally struck them as there's the the, the the rear guard the the, the the rear portion of the caravan is taken out um, by by an enemy because there was a desensitization there was a uh, there was complacency uh, and are we going through that now are we are we clearly have a wedge driven between us and in, in society we in certain sense maybe that is our greatest enemy is desensitization to each other and and, and given that your role Benny is to in a certain sense be an inst- a, a literal wedge I mean you are prosecuting you are saying you deserve to be in jail and convincing a jury what, you know, that someone should be in jail. How do you reconcile those things? How, how do you feel in this context with this type of polarization about your role? And if you don't mind opening up to us a little bit how it ties into your, your spiritual life. Um, hope I haven't dropped too much on you, but would love to hear your, your views on that, Ben. <coughs> the, um, sorry, I hope I'm coming through okay. That, that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. We'd call that a compound question and leading. Um, so there was a lot there. What what I would say is that um, first of all, this week's Torah portion. What it what it what it demonstrates to me, um, and and I, I am by the way also an ordained rabbi. But what it demonstrates to me is that we are uh, a community, and we have to take personal responsibility for our own actions. We are required to bear personal responsibility to the extent that we can. That is to say that if we're, if we're rational, um, decent, um, healthy, in some way, individuals and we commit crimes, we have to take responsibility for our actions. But the, the Torah also recognizes that there are times where, where we will act irrationally. That is, right. we will not be able to take responsibility for our actions. So it gives us guidelines on how to do that. 
And 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 the, the point is is that a society is only as good as the laws it has. And if we have good laws in place, then those laws will provide boundaries for us in how to act and react to certain things. Um, and that way, giving us those boundaries, we you know, I think a prosecutor has to recognize the distinction between someone walking out and just assaulting another human being and someone engaging in assaulting behavior if they were um, in their own home being challenged by an individual in some other context, right? The, the, the emotional context is very relevant towards evaluating the culpability of someone's behavior. Um, so I, I think, though, that, that we need to have a good rules of society. We have to go good perspective. And, again, in law, everything in law is very vague. Um, but but that is the pursuit of justice, right? Knowing the different contexts, not just um, being a, a machine, right? Here's a crime, insert, exit, here's a sentence. But taking into account all the different nuances that might exist in any given case, including who the individual, the perpetrator is, and including who the victim of that, that crime is and, and what the circumstances that arose to that situation. Um, so Been we are personally responsible Sorry for the interruption. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt either during the prosecution or in <laughs> retrospect, oh, God, I, I was on the wrong side of that? I Either because the law that you were being asked to uphold, in the, in the words of, of Louis Brandeis, wasn't respectable, or because there was something that you discovered along the way that, that really was a, you know, a, a, a pang in your conscience. Is that, has that happened to you in your practice? And, and, I'm going to say our number again, 718-303-9090 to talk to Benny for a long-term prosecutor in L.A. County. The, sh the short answer to that question is no, but there's a huge caveat and, and, and a huge but there, which is the short answer is no. If a prosecutor is doing their job appropriately and you're a prosecutor for the length of time I've been, you're going to have cases where a person is actually innocent in, in the course of your career or a case where, where an individual is charged inappropriately. That, that exists, um, but the hope is that when that's discovered, the right action's taken. So I've had numerous types of cases uh, as, as a rookie. One of my early, early, early cases was I was assigned to a courthouse in L.A. County, and it was uh, September time. I was young, brand new. I, I, maybe I was in court for a month. And um, I got these series of tickets pertaining to Fourth of July fireworks. Um, and, and most of the people who walked in were middle-aged guys, families, children, jobs, and they have these misdemeanor citations for um, shooting off illegal fireworks. Um, now, now, illegal fireworks are very dangerous, and, and people get hurt. Um, but I, I always, you know, but, but, I, but I wanted to balance that with the idea of these are people who don't deserve a criminal record, right? Like, I don't want to give someone a criminal record... Who, who's a middle, you know, just a regular guy with a family who has a job. Why, why saddle him with that responsibility? So I went to my boss, and my boss said to me, well, this is, you know, they're very dangerous actions. I said, so is driving a car at every moment. Um, and, and if I take a quick right without fully stopping, that's, that's a very dangerous act. But we, we kind of gauge society in that way, which is like, if you did that, it's an infraction. But if you hurt somebody, you, you might be charged with a felon. Um, and it's the same kind of thing. I said, look, I think they should be infractions. An individual should be charged um, and ticketed for that sort of behavior. If they harm somebody, certainly would increase to a much greater extent. But it won't be – I don't want to saddle a group of people with misdemeanor. And, and I ended up just giving them traffic tickets, basically, and making them pay a fine. 
Um, and that, that's an early case, but it's handled appropriately or um, it, it throughout the time. I mean, I, I, I re- had a case a couple of years ago where, you know, detectives arrested the wrong guy completely. Um, we, we showed up in court. And I was like, you know, the defense attorney is like, this is not the right human being. He's Good not the you. subject yeah. of your case. Um, and you dismiss the case right away, right? Like you look into it, you, you call my detectives and, 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 and we have the wrong person. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Let's, we need to dismiss it. So if they're handled appropriately, you're going to have this numerous times. The question is, is how you contend with that circumstance. If I may tell one story, it may be a bit lengthy about the one case that gives me pain. Oh, that's, the that's, one out of, I love your stories, Benny. And, and you've told me some offline that I, I know I can't repeat, but I would, I'd love for you to dive into as well. We're going to do that right after the break. Again, our number is 718-303-9090. And you can also send in a, if you want to send in an anonymous question and you uh, don't feel comfortable being on the air, you can also send me a text at 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're on equal footing with Benny Four, and we'll be right back. Location, 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 the three most important words in real estate. There is a large storefront in Manhattan, which is possibly the best location in New York, which is now available. It's right on Manhattan's Union Square, facing the park, between 16th and 17th Street. It's over 4,000 square feet at street level and has a 4,500-square-foot basement. The last tenant was a well-known restaurant, which was there for almost 23 years. Inquiries called 212-206-0111 and ask for Marty. The location is great for a restaurant, sports bar, clothing store, gallery, any retail business that benefits from a large amount of foot traffic. It's a great location for sales and also for branding. Union Square is the area with the second most foot traffic in New York City, right behind Times Square, which is mostly for tourists. Take advantage of the moment. These types of locations don't come up very often, and it is a wonderful opportunity for an unbeatable store location. Call Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Call 212-206-0111. That's 212-206-0111. Ask for Marty. Welcome back to Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're on with Benny for a long-term district attorney and prosecutor in L.A. County. He's also a professor of law at the University of Southern California. You can call in at 718-303-9090. You can touch on anything you want. Benny and I can take it. We've been on different sides of the criminal justice system, and we've been able to find common ground in our conversations prior to this show and on the show. So hopefully that's an example to those of you that are feeling like you're at each other's throats in something or you're feeling like you're stuck in an intransigent war position. This this week's portion of the Bible, Kitetse, is literally it means when you go. The implication is when you go to war. And sometimes it can feel like the legal system is a system of war. And so it's so important that we stay in a in a in a stance of uh, of moral sensitivity and empathy. Benny, you were going to tell us a story. Now, I'll ask you, uh, we, I love your stories, but we do have a caller on waiting, so w- go ahead, and then we'll take uh, James on the line. Okay, I'll try to make it quick, and I'm, I'm a little hesitant. 
But it was early in my career. I had a case involving a carjacking where an individual was carjacked at gunpoint. Um, the, the, kid, the carjacker jumped in the car and made him drive his car several miles and then kicked him out. Um, that's called a carjacking or kidnapping, carjacking for kidnapping. Um, and I had this case, and we found the car because the uh, there was a low jack system on the car, so we found the car. It was parked outside uh, a person's house. Um, we retrieved the car, dusted it for Prince, came back to Prince to this individual who happened to live in that house. Um, we then prepared a photo lineup for the victim and showed the victim the pictures, and he picked the right person, the person whose fingerprints are in the car, the person whose the car's parked outside his house. It's a pretty straightforward case. Right, we have the car at your house with your fingerprints in it, and the victim identifies you. Um, we come to court, and the individual, the defendant, the person arrested, um, is 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 adamant. It's not me. I didn't do this. And he's any he, any he, his his demeanor was unlike any defendant I'd prosecuted. Um, he had this very um, worn out demeanor, as opposed to he wasn't you know standing on his his, his he wasn't self righteous. He wasn't angry or assaultive in that way. He was more just so withdrawn and and just oh my god i can't believe i'm getting you know i'm getting hammered with this right it's a potential life charge um and um you know we 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 actually went to trial um and and before trial the defense attorney and and the family of this individual approached me and they say look it's not him it was not him it was his cousin who did it um and i said how how do you know it's the cousin he said the cousin came by the house with this nice souped up SUV, um, this massive sound system inside, he stripped it out, and we checked out the car. We were all in the car. Our fingerprints are all in the car. If you check all our prints, um, and so uh, you know that was a bit disturbing. And the, and the cousin happened to have a long prior criminal record, and the whole family was saying, "We, we this is you, you got the wrong guy. It's the cousin. The cousin's name is Robert. You, you got to go after Robert. We'll testify. We saw him." What do you do in that scenario? We have this solid piece of evidence against this individual, but we have a rational meeting, um, rational um, other perspective in a way. I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, What did you do? And we were starting trial. And I'm sitting there, and we start trial, and and, and the defense attorney was a very experienced defense attorney, 25 years on me. And he was shaking. Um, throughout our jury selection, and he was sweating, and uh, and uh, and we had a good relationship. I said, "Tom, you all right? I'm I'm three years into my career. He's 25 years into his career, and and he's like, no, I've I've never had an innocent guy before, and um, wow. that left me kind of bewildered. So I went back to my supervisor and said, you know, I, I don't know what what do we do in this? Like, I, I have fingerprints. I have the cars in his house, in, in outside his house. The victim identifies him. So my supervisor said to me. Why don't you get a, a, a stack of family photos and show them to the victim? You know, I didn't think the two people looked alike, but maybe they do. Maybe it was it was cross racial identification issues. Maybe they do. So I called the victim into my office and I gave him a stack of photos and I explained to him the scenario. And I said, "Look, I need to make sure you're positive. Like, I need to make sure you're positive. I want you to look through these photos and identify the person who did it." And he, he I left him in my office. I walked out, and 15 minutes later, I came back. And, it, and my plan was, if he had any hesitation on who it was, I was going to dismiss the case. Any hesitation. And um, he came in, and I came in, and he said, I'm positive. I'm absolutely positive it's this individual, not the cousin. Hmm. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because I kept thinking to myself, who's the guy who's going to kill me? I had a gun against my head. 
and I, I wanted to know who's going to kill me. And I, I looked at him. I looked at him carefully. Well, that left me in a bind, right? What are you doing that? I went to my boss again. I said, look, I, this is where we're at. But I, I feel uncomfortable as a prosecutor, but I don't know, like, I don't have a solid basis for that uncomfortability. And he's facing life. If he gets convicted at trial, he's going away for life. And my boss said, offer, Steve, offer him a robbery for five years. And I went to his attorney and said, we'll offer a robbery for five years in prison. Would he get out right into two and a half? Um, and, and, he, and, and he went to his client and his client said, no, I'm innocent. Um, and we're continuing, and, and the, this experienced defense attorney was really not doing a good job. And it was getting me worried because he was so nervous throughout our beginning of trial that I, w- I was worried. I was like, you're, you're, not, you're not doing a very good job here. I'm going to beat you regardless, and that's, that's concerning. Um, and, and lo and behold, the, the, the defendant was sitting in, in lockup waiting to come out for the next day of trial, and, and um, he was talking to some, some other inmate there, and the other inmate who was an experienced gang member involved in the criminal justice system for many years said to him, uh, you're nuts, you need to take this deal. I only found this out later from another attorney who happened over here. It's such a difficult um, said, you're aspect of the criminal justice system is that pressure, especially for the innocent, when you, you've, you, you have a real chance of losing, if not a high probability of losing, and you, you know that you're innocent and... It's, you have a deal in front of you. That, it just it's it's one of the uh, most extraordinary moral moral dilemmas I think that you can that you can have as a human being. But I'm fascinated here the, the, yeah. what where this ended up on so, your side. Sorry for the interruption. I mean, he came out. He came out and he he said, "I'll take the deal." Um, and I think his attorney breathed a huge sigh of relief. Um, and um, interestingly enough, as a total side note, Steve Martin was in my jury panel. The actor Steve Martin, right. um, but, but he he you know and and I and I looked at him as I took the plea, um, and and he pled guilty to, to robbery. Um, afterwards, we were off the record, and I, I said to him, I went up to him and I, I shook his hand and I said, you know, I don't know the truth here. I honestly don't. But as a prosecutor, I have an obligation to pursue the evidence, and and in this case, the evidence solidly falls against you. Um, but I want you to know that if you're innocent, I am absolutely sorry for this. And, and I don't know what more to say. Like, this is not going to help your life out. But I, I truly, truly, from the depths of my heart, apologize to you. Um, I, I, and and I that's where you, we left it. I honor you, Benny, for having had the the moral courage to do that. There's no reason you had to have that conversation. You may have even put yourself at some some risk, if not legal risk, certainly the, the risk of... of uh, of embarrassment or, or or you know personal difficulty and and that's that was very big of you. Thank you, but I mean that's what happened. And so it's the one case I would say the one case in my career that sat on my conscience. Um, but beyond that, to be to be absolutely honest, I think I've pursued the cases appropriately, um, and and I'm I've been lucky as well to be in cybercrime, um, which cybercrime tends to be much more objective levels of evidence um it's not so much you know witness or if at all witness identification or things like that there's there's the human elements are taken out it's much more um you know following the electronic trails and so it makes it a little more objective and easier to prosecute gotcha james has been very patient on the line our number is 718-303-9090 we also have a couple of questions that have come in by text for people that they don't feel comfortable being on the air or want to be 
more anonymous, and you can send any text questions to 917-428-4062. I'm Dove Tusman. We're on equal footing, and today I'm on equal footing with Benny Forer, who is a prosecutor for 14 years in L.A. County and has prosecuted everything from cyber crimes to narcotics to murder. He's also a professor of law at the University of Southern California. James, welcome. <coughs> Hello, Dove. Hello, How Mr. You? Foreman. Uh, uh, you're an attorney and uh, I believe an expert on cybercrime, cyber law, so you would highly value uh, rational judgment uh, sticking to the facts. I wonder if you would make anything of the journalist Ron Suskind, who in 2004 encountered an, o- an official of the uh, George W. Bush White House who said to him, uh, that he was in the reality-based community searching for solutions and answers in the facts. But that's not how the world really works anymore, he said. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. We are history's actors, and all of you will be left to, ju- to just study what we do. And that seems to be going on to the present day. James, that that is a, a an intense question, and I think you may have beat me in terms of a compound leading question to steal your phraseology, Benny. What do you make of it? I, I'm not okay. To be honest with you, I'm not really. I, I, I'm not familiar with that, but I don't know. Can, can you parse out the question exactly? What it is that you're asking here? Well, uh, that, that, uh, is, it, is it that? Yeah, the, the, it was said the, the, by other uh, uh, journalists, I suppose, that the person in question was uh, Carl Rove, but uh, Ron Suskind never never named who he was quoting, just an official of the George W. Bush White House. But, uh, the, for instance, uh, the Republicans now, they're not uh, offering a, uh, a platform of issues uh, to uh, debate or argue over uh you know uh, rather they're uh uh they're 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 being they're 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 expressing their enthusiasm they're they're committing themselves uh, enthusiastically basically uh and they're not really arguing facts or, or you know like as Dobbs started off saying uh, the 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 course we're all bearing out here with the confusion that uh, you know follows from uh, police violence, uh, the COVID, uh, and the, the lockdown. James, thank you. Let's let's talk. Let, let's pivot towards James's question with respect to you know police violence and a fact-based conversation. Benny, I hope you don't mind me sharing with the audience. A couple of nights ago, you and I had a heart-to-heart conversation. And you, you said something I made a note of that I wanted to bring up on the air if you're okay with it, which is when you see a horrible video, you read a heart-wrenching story about an abuse, often police brutality, often directed at people of color, or something that might even relate to your experience as a prosecutor, a prosecutor that crossed the line, that you know, drafted a plea agreement for a collaborating witness or, you know, hid evidence that, that should have been provided to the defense. And you, you mentioned you see it, you sometimes talk to other prosecutors, other people in the community, and you, you see it objectively in a different way maybe than the average citizen. Can you reflect on that to James's point around facts and objectivity? How do you see 
these things in a way that would be different than the way that the average Joe would would see it when you watch the you know George Floyd you know that horribly tragic video for example well I mean as I think we alluded to this in the beginning of the show which is as prosecutors our job is really to remain objective and to gather all the facts and evidence and review that in an objective way um, and and our job should not be to protect or, or prosecute any one group or person to the detriment of those and so we have to examine is our law in place good? And if not, right, society's values uh, change and evolve. Um, we might have different values, and we might want to pursue laws differently, and we, we should change them by the democratic process, is my opinion. Um, so sometimes we, we view things, and, and uh, just today, before this, this show, I, I had a conversation with a fellow prosecutor who, who's very uh, different than me in, in, in socially and politically. Um, and we were discussing... The recent um, incident in in, um, um, in in where is it in Milwaukee Wisconsin. In, in Wisconsin, and and we were just discussing that in the abstract and, and discussing some of that. And one of the things we, re- we we always we've agreed upon, which is as prosecutors, we always have to wait till the till we we're familiar with the facts. Uh, I have detectives show up in my office. They have this great case. Let me tell you about this great case, and and that's fine. They can tell me everything they want, but until I see the the documentation, the evidence. I have a duty, an obligation, a legal, ethical duty not to pursue that until I personally know the evidence and to pursue it. So that, that's the most important thing, you know, is to for us to not react to the the whatever society's whim is at that present moment, but to to sit back and to digest and and understand the nature of it. To be um, to be objective. In my, in my, to be in my line of work, my cases are, are very rarely filed uh, within within a few days of them so-called being solved. My cases, I sit on them sometimes for six months, and I just filed a case today. Um, it, it was two years we were sitting on this case and, and examining. I mean, the defendant was familiar that we were looking into it, but it required um, a mass um, evaluation of massive amounts of documentation. And we kind of sit back and go, okay, let us evaluate everything that we have and let us see where where that takes us without having an agenda in mind. Um, and so in the same in the same context, I've, I've refused to file many cases as well. Um, recently, I just had a case, uh, a detective involving um, a case that, that harmed the police department. Someone took a bunch of their, their nine, uh, calls, uh, radio transmissions, uh, including encrypted um, messages, and posted them publicly. Um, and it was sort of an employee of the police department. And at the end of the day, we chose not to file that, those charges because the, the interests of justice didn't, um, didn't appear to, to be the case. Um, and, and it, the, you know, the question was whether there was criminal intent in that sort of behavior. Uh, I'm obviously leaving out many facts, but it requires us to sit back and really evaluate, um, the nature of the case and what really occurred in all the different circumstances, including what po- possible defenses might exist. We have to take that into account as part of our ethical duty. So, Benny, I'm going to throw a question at you that came in via text uh, just a few minutes ago, and then we'll take a break. You can think about the response that has to do with the interests of justice. And the question is, what do you think, Benny, about restor- so-called restorative justice projects? Should they be expanded? Are they effective or not? We're going to take a break in a moment. You're on equal footing with Dove Tusman. Our guest today is Benny Forer. Our number is 
9090. You can also send in a question by text if you want anonymously at 917-428-4062. Take advantage of these last uh, 12 minutes or so to ask a uh, prosecutor in the flesh living in, and on the phone with us who is actively in the law enforcement role of uh, if not standing in judgment, bringing people to justice in L.A. County. It's Benny for our guest on Equal Footing. Equal Footing is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, MDCS Dermatology provides the most advanced medical and surgical skin treatments in the New York metro area. The dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. Visit www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. Mention equal footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. MDCS Dermatology combines state-of-the-art technology with a personalized and friendly approach to skin care for adults and children. Whether you need medical treatment or have a cosmetic concern, the doctors at MDCS will provide you with the best treatment options. Here's what patients have to say about MDCS Dermatology. Charles from Garden City says, The balance of patient care and COVID-19 safety was perfect. I went straight from my car to the exam room and skipped the receptionist and waiting room. Ellie from Great Neck says, Dr. Garshik was the most thorough dermatologist I've ever seen for my annual skincare screening. Jennifer from Long Beach says, I had a brown mole removed from my forehead and now I have perfect skin. Thank you, Dr. Bernstein. So, schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient Long Island or Manhattan locations. Go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. Or, if you prefer the comfort and safety of your own living room, you can schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists by clicking on Virtual Visit at www.mdcs.live. Remember to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. We're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman. We're talking about the interests of justice, the moral duty and complexity of being a prosecutor in today's America. Benny, right before the break, we got a question in by text, which was with with respect to so-called restorative justice projects. Maybe you should maybe say and align what that is for the audience. And should these projects be expanded? Are they effective? Are number 718... 303 You can call in to ask us questions on criminal justice, the interests of justice, the moral duty of a prosecutor. Benny. So, um, you know, restorative justice, I think, um, is a wide brush that is utilized nowadays. Um, and it refers to perhaps uh, alternative methods of prosecuting or sentencing individuals um, and, and giving people more opportunities um, and, and chances, so to speak. Um, I, I mean, obviously, as a prosecutor, I'm conflicted uh, on, on a lot of the restorative justice ideals um, because I think that everything that we approach as a society, we have to think about um, the context 
and 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 the effect of that and and who who gets benefited and who gets harmed um, and that sort of thing um, so it has to be I think approached in a very comprehensive intelligent manner instead of just throwing it out um, in a way unintelligently so for example um, you know we talk about narcotics and and should narcotics be legal or illegal and I, I think probably most people uh, nowadays have this feeling that it should be legalized um, but the question that I, I would I would suggest is whether or not um, you know the legality um, assists anybody in society me say as a society, I think we all desire that people not be addicted to to things, um, and we want to uh, perhaps pursue that they, that they shouldn't be addicted. So then, does the criminal justice system play a role? Um, sometimes, in, in in my experience with with narcotics, um, people need to hit rock bottom, and that rock bottom might be me. And I've said that to to defendants I've prosecuted. I am your rock bottom. Um, now what? Um, and we, we need we need that to uh, sometimes effectuate a, a result. I can speak to California. In California, it's now misdemeanor for possession of narcotics, but it was a felony for for my early career. And our our position on narcotics was to seek rehabilitation for offenders, mm-hmm. not to incarcerate. It, it never was to incarcerate. Um, in fact, if you look at the um, Bureau of Prison Statistics of incarceration of narcotics offenders, that is. Possessors and users of narcotics um, out of our state prison population, which is 1.3 million, uh, the the percentages are only three and a half percent of the 1.3 million. So it's about 44,000 out of 1.3 million people are in custody for possession of narcotics. That's a really low number compared to what our national rhetoric is on the issue. Benny, we're um, and, and so. so yeah. Sorry, we're, we're, running gonna, we're running out of time, and I, I, I just got a question in by text that uh, made my heart go into my chest, so I just I have to share this almost as a moral duty because okay. of how close it hits to home. First of all, let me, before I ask this question, uh, let me, and we could probably have time for possibly one more caller, so I'll say I'll number one more time, 718-303-9090. You can also text in your questions anonymously if you want at 917-428-4062. Benny, before I ask you the question, have you had defendants, I don't want to say in your care, but that you've, you've, that you've been prosecuting, who have been beaten or abused while incarcerated? I don't know. And, 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 I, and I say I don't know, not, not because I lack interest in that, but because I don't think that's uh, an area that they necessarily share with us, um, and, and the defense won't bring it up, meaning, say, I've never had a circumstance where a defense attorney came into court. At, um, maybe I have one or two. I'm thinking back. But where a defense attorney came into court and said, my, my, my client's been beaten up. Um, if that's something, they might deal with that ex parte with the judge. Um, but I've had a circumstance where um, an individual came in um, and he was beaten up. I'm, I'm recalling now um, he had a black eye or something like that I mean, years ago. Uh, most of my defendants are out of custody because I do white-collar crimes nowadays. But um, it, it, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're in a position to handle that. I don't know that there was. I don't recall any requests being made from me. Um, it's usually an ex parte thing that is between the judge and the defense attorney in terms of how to handle that. So but it, it's is, shocking. It's horrible. It's, it's debasing. As as I, I know, you know, and some of our listeners may know, I, I was uh, accused and brought up on charges of a white collar uh, crimes uh, related to accounting fraud a number of years ago. 
and in the peculiarity of the situation given I was traveling, I was living in New York, traveling overseas for, a, for three or four days, uh, my indictment was unsealed when I was overseas and I ended up spending ten and a half months in prisons in, in South America, whereas if I had been in the States, I, I would have been able to you know, defend myself and be arraigned within 36 hours or whatever it is. So I know my situation is quite peculiar and of course that was a, a, a prison abroad, uh, but I, you know, I sustained uh, multiple attacks there and, and stuff that's hard for me to talk about even to this day. The question that came in was, uh, and just uh, read it literally here, when someone is beaten in prison, should it be factored into the interests of justice? So it sounds like you haven't faced that issue directly. What are your thoughts on that? Well, but I could, I could answer that. What I would say is uh, it depends what we're talking about interests of justice. If someone's life was in, in danger in prison... Um, and, and or in jail, and and I'm really trying to think back earlier to my career if I've ever done this. I, I think I may have, but I don't fully recall. Um, I think that should factor into what we do with the person pending the case, um, as opposed to if someone committed a crime and they say, "Well, um, yeah, I committed that crime, whatever it is. I, I I committed grand theft, or I you know I robbed somebody." Should that be considered as part of his sentencing in the interest of justice? I, I think the short answer is no. That that's, we have to look at the relevancy of the act, not not those subsequent actions. If that makes sense, that have, uh, that are irrelevant to that act. So in that sense, I mean, if if a person's life is legitimately in danger, in the sense they say, look, if you put me in prison, I'm going to be in danger, and these are the reasons why. Certainly, we should take that into account. You know, but if I, you're saying there was an incident that occurred, and uh, because that incident occurred, I want a better sentence. I don't know that those two things are related causally to one another. I remember when I was in the this, I was in three different prisons over that period of time, a number of years ago, and I remember a conversation. It was right, quite a macabre conversation that I had. There were some other inmates who were also in danger because of a lot of very uh, in, dangerous characters in the prisons down there. The State Department of the United States designated one of the prisons I was in there as one of the ten most dangerous in the world, and I was constantly in fear of losing my life there. And we would talk about the fact that if we had a choice about losing a limb, for example, or you know being there, that it was an obvious choice, you know, because you're talking about a limb versus your life, or a limb versus your dignity. There was a lot of you know sexual assault, for example, there, and. And those are the types of questions I don't think anyone should should ever face. Certainly not in the context of a criminal justice system in an advanced nation like like our own. But Benny, you, you have been so gracious with your time. We're going to take one last break and then come on to to to, to wrap up. You're on equal footing with Dove Tuzman. Our guest is Benny, for a long term uh, district attorney and prosecutor in L.A. County. Location, 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 the three most important words in real estate. There is a large storefront in Manhattan, which is possibly the best location in New York, which is now available. It's right on Manhattan's Union Square, facing the park, between 16th and 17th Street. It's over 4,000 square feet at street level and has a 4,500-square-foot basement. The last tenant was a well-known restaurant, which was there for almost 23 years. Inquiries called 212-206-0111 and ask for Marty.